All right. Uh, hey, how's it going? This is uh, your host, Colin. Uh, welcome to Drinking About the Markets. I'm joined by Giovanni Fumé, the Texas Frenchman. Um, we're here to drink uh, some tasty wine tonight and talk about some market developments and general market concepts uh, over the last week and the years uh, that have been a couple crazy years in the market. Um, Joe, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, sure. So I think who I am matters like a little bit less than who Colin is because Colin is generally the expert on these matters. But Thank you. I think, That's very kind. I think this, just to, for some context, this podcast I think is a result of the conversations we've been having in private and yeah. how much I know very little but I'm very interested in the detailed workings because especially with all the sh- – like. With the shorts of and the squeezes around GME and the GameStop stocks, I think a lot of conversations arise around the intricacies of how shorts happen and that kind of thing and how much more it is complex than what meets the eye. So That and also maybe some of the philosophical yeah, renderings that, that come about from – uh, you know, squeezing out short sellers and and um, maybe the processes taken by Robinhood, for instance, preventing people from trading the stocks anymore. And if there were nefarious reasons behind that, or if they were maybe trying to save their business at large. Yeah. And I think like this is just an extension of conversations we were having in private and I was finding them really interesting. So I was like, I think other people will find it interesting. And the particular format we're going here is, you know, just someone who knows very little about the market and someone who knows a lot, and sort of that's going to be the dynamic at play here. So, it's I think generous we- for you to say I know a lot. <laughs> Appreciate that. So, I think without further ado, um, let's just go into what are we going to talk about this week? Sure. And sure. So people know what this episode's going to be about and the sort of general topics that we'll be covering. So as many people have probably been following uh, Texas this week, um, the Lone Star State suffered uh, massive power outages, and I think there have been a lot of fingers pointed, uh, you know, people have basically said, oh, this is the Green New Deal, uh, you know, at its failure, and then there are people who are also pointing fingers back saying, this is uh, capitalism at its worst, where people left to their own devices and unregulated have taken advantage of profit and the bottom line and, you know, the good Americans that they serve. So just to just to jump directly into what happened and, and kind of what's at stake here, Texas has been, you know, experiencing some of the worst weather ever on record. It's practically a weather black swan event. And over the years, there have been instances in 2011 and 2014, uh, there were there were frosts as well that caused power outages. Maybe for four to eight hours, power had to be cut off. But now, sustained cold has happened in the region. Um, you know, it's a it's it's maybe a new it's a maybe a new normal for the region. And as a result of this frost, power in the region has completely failed. Um, Texas is really unique in. America, because it is the only state in the continental U.S. of the 48 lower states that doesn't share or take in power from other states. And as a result of that, they don't have to be federally regulated. Yeah. And I think just, you know, even for me, right, like when we say power failed, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So that means uh, 
you know, a common utility that you and I depend on, something that we we envision when we come home having no issues uh, using. So it, it, it's akin to, you know, running water or, or uh, heat. So, you know, electricity is the third utility and power going out is the, the lack of electricity being transmitted over, you know, the, the grid in the area. So whether it's from uh, burstable uh, oil and gas uh, power plants or wind turbines or thermal energy, whatever have you, there's been a systemic failure uh, delivering the generation of that power to and from those plants. Because the demand was just too high. No, 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 no. The, the, the failure occurred because uh, the delivery mechanism of that power to the customer uh, was not sustainable in the sense that it wasn't weather protected. So when this frost hit, you had massive failures up and downstream to try to uh, you know, allocate that, that power out. So the demand was, ex- was really sufficient. And what's really interesting in Texas and the reason why they do this, this unfederalized, you know, non-regulated power system where, where um, you know, it isn't monopolized. Like in some states where in New York we have Con Ed, so it's all regulated. We have practically one source is because it allowed new new people to enter into the the industry of providing power to to homes and you know texas kind of likes to you know beat its chest when it comes to being free the freest freest state in the <laughs> freest unit. place on yeah, the earth it's just everything is free you know <laughs> there should be no barriers to entry for anyone so in the early 2000s there was a huge deregulation uh you know effort in this industry and you know to an extent they created more jobs. They created more competition. So, yeah, I think, you know, to play devil's advocate sure. for a second, what was the impetus – like, what was the main argument for deregulation? Yeah. Why, why were they doing that? Yeah, I think, I think you know, the big reason why was because, like New York, it was very monopolistic where very few players were providing power. So it was obviously regulated the same way Con Ed is, but um, – the 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 addressable market was really refined to you know a handful of people and just to make it more open and more free they said okay we want to do away with that we want to stimulate more business we want to get more people involved here which perfectly fine with but when they did that they decided to only create agencies with no enforceable actions as to the standard of the service or the safety of the service. So when something like this happens, it's really difficult to actually point your finger at anyone because what what was your what was your goal and did you achieve it? Okay, yeah, our goal was to open up the economy, create more jobs and to probably lower the cost of services for the consumer. But at, but at what cost on the flip side, right? And and one of the things I think would be like my first question, and I don't know if this has a straight answer, but like how in good faith do you think these arguments were made, right? Because I think my stance is to always be slightly nervous when I hear arguments of free market because I always suspect that there's someone in power who has to gain with that and deregulation is not – usually a friend of the average working man and woman. And, and I might be wrong on that front. So 
what is your sense of whether this was done in good faith or whether it was a ploy to make certain people richer? Sure, yeah. So I think what's really interesting about that is you have to think about timing and context of probably when this happened. This happened like early 2000s from my recollection. So uh, you're kind of in this period of um, you're a post, your post-democratic Bill Clinton presidency. You were having... Uh, companies during that time kind of being broken up. AT&T, for instance, was split up into Verizon and a, and a variety of other uh, baby bills, as they called them. You know, large American companies at, at that time were being challenged in terms of their power over the market. So I think what happened was is maybe there was kind of an overreach. And at the time, maybe people were too cavalier about saying what should be broken up, like, you know, what isn't a utility, what should be more free market, right? So um, maybe there was an error in the way of thinking back then, uh, or maybe it was just lobbyists who were, who were, you know, who saw an opportunity given the situation at large in the economy saying, well, if you're breaking those up, why don't we break up the, the, you know, electricity, the power community in Texas? Um, and maybe other conversations like that were happening around the U S and from what it seems like many people decided to, you know, reject reject that and reject the argument for deregulating power delivery. But, you know, Texas decided to do the complete opposite. And it's a case study in uh, maybe going one step too far outside of uh, protecting the consumers of America and protecting, you know, the a, 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 an essential good, you know. And I think that, like, gets to an interesting point, which is, Probably what strikes me as one of the most interesting parts about this story in terms of how I view the world, which is there might be an argument to be made that actually utilities is one of the areas where we would want something like a monopoly. Sure. Where, you know, usually I would be opposed to monopolies. Does this make the argument for, you know, how, right, like how much should edge cases, right? Let's, let's take out for a second the, possibility that because of global warming this might become a more reoccurring event which it may or may not be some people are saying it will but let's just take that out right like how much should edge cases dictate whether this political approach was a success or a failure so i think you know edge cases or these black swan events are are become so expensive when they occur that them occurring and people not being prepared for them makes the existing system a failure. Yeah. You look at the Dutch, right, who have completely fortified their country pl- practically, either from uh, actual dams being built or, or systems where water can run off, where it doesn't destroy villages or cities or something that, to that effect. Um, you know, they're prepared for every single, you know, general modeled out bad situation that could possibly like any occur. Possible yeah, disaster. any any possible disaster. In in New York, for instance, Sandy was a black swan event. And you know, people obviously were not prepared for it. And by virtue of that, people said, you know, is New York vulnerable? Yes, obviously it was. So now when people build things and people uh, you know, my my girlfriend works for uh, works for a contractor that works on the subway. When they build things, they have to prepare for those events now because the cost is too severe 
when you try to when you try to skirt these or flout these these possibilities, and then they end up happening, and the the destruction is is immense. You know, whether it's loss of life or it's uh, you know it's the 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 subway system needing billions and billions of dollars to to revitalize itself and to get back up and running. You know, it's 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 the trade off. You know, would you rather would you rather make a dollar now, or would you rather have to spend you know a couple hundred in the future on yeah. other people's money? So yeah, and I think like just for some context, this affects me personally because most of my family lives in Texas, and everyone was fine and. I think a lot of my family in Texas is Republican and would have been just practiced um, mentally to be against something like heavily regulated markets because they're longtime Republican voters. And, you know, where, like, is there, because I know, for example, I heard, you know, just in passing that in the Dakotas, whether that be South or North Dakota, they have all their windmills, like, prepared against freeze yeah that's right because most they're, states they're, they're ready for most states. they're ready yeah. for the cold so you know is the sort of where you stand on this is that there should be heavy duty government regulation on these activities there's definitely a fine line you don't want to overreact and say okay uh this was a complete disaster but i think what really is problematic with something like the texas power industry is that there is no enforceable agency. Yeah. It's all guidelines. They have something called ERCOT, where and they 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 lament uh, publicly about a alphabet soup of of faux pas regulatory agencies that aren't necessarily aligned on the guidelines, or they don't really have you know any any say about what to do. So you know if if no one's going to make you do something and it costs you an extra buck or two, like what's the point? You know. Um, if you're if you're looking at, at a, from a bottom you know line perspective and you're really just focused on returns, um, so I just you know like it, the the overreaction would be to say cr- you know create a monopoly tie up a bunch of these power plants and or or wind turbine areas and and create something that's more sustainable um, and that is heavily regulated, but. I think what should what should be an outcome of this is that they just create something that has enforceability and standards are created and and people don't um, do whatever the hell they want. And it, it because is you're, because when something like this goes wrong, people's lives are at stake. Right. So there's a really fine line. Like imagine if airplane safety was wasn't enforceable. Yeah. Like to what extent would airplane would, would airlines fly you know planes until they flew into the ground yeah you know or like, fly into each other yeah so exactly i'm just yeah. gonna play chicken with you yeah yeah <laughs> right exactly like there comes a point in time when things are so critical to the the health and safety of someone that uh there are enough bad agents in any any situation you know like i work in the financial services industry and plenty of people have done terrible things and what's happened from that there's been a ton of regulation, yeah. but at the same time, like you, you have to realize that people are always going to take advantage of something if they're not told to do it one way or the other. So it's just, it's really just the the human, like the humanity of this is so striking. And I think too, like one of the myths to dispel here, because one of the things I force Colin to do relatively regularly when he comes down 
is we drink and watch the Tucker Carlson show. <laughs> and we're both, I think, pretty liberal in our politics, so I just get really angry and yell at the TV. But one of the you know points that I've seen argued is the inherent failability of green energy. And I think one of the things we should just talk about for a second is that like the grid didn't fail purely because of green energy. That's right. Yeah. That's like, right. Natural gas yeah, is hard to yeah, deliver in the exactly. cold. Oh, yeah. There's been failures across the board. Um, it's been so cold that they're having problems actually moving gas itself yeah. um, up and down streams. So, no, it, it uh, obviously – the 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 Republican syndicate will, or the the far right syndicate will will go ahead and say, you know, this is this is an issue that stems from overreach of trying to you know shift to you know a more liberal agenda uh, countrywide. Obviously, that's just not the reality of the situation. The situation is that every single mechanism of of energy delivery and power delivery to Areas of Texas, large areas of Texas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio failed. You don't have a hundred percent of the state on green energy. Yeah, you know, like if that were the case, perhaps you could say make an argument that uh, people did a poor job implementing those systems and they did it too quickly. But that's not the case. the 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 fact pattern does not head in that direction. In fact, you look at you look at um, El Paso, I believe. And El Paso is one of the only places in Texas that isn't a part of the Texas grid. And they're completely fine. Yeah. So that's a great, you know, case study in itself to say, well, it's green energy's fault, like blah, blah, blah. But really, it's more just the system that they have in place and the failure of the leadership or, or the talking heads that helped achieve that sort of system. Um, green energy is, is completely sustainable if done correctly. I mean, I know, I know you were you were invoking the Dakotas, but Iowa gets about the same percentage of of their their uh, energy delivery from 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 green or renewable sources, and they have far colder weather than Texas regularly. Um, you know, for a greater percentage of the year, they've never had failure like this. A yeah. because they've winterized it so that you know there was no greed involved because a, they're, they're, there's oversight. And, and B, they're on the, the grid system. So Yeah, and like, I, you know, you just talking to me about this, it strikes me almost like a, a sports metaphor. Like, you make, you say, okay, instead of having one team representing this city, we're going to tell that you can make as many teams as you want, but they put no they put no refs on the field. Yeah. And then, you know, it wasn't just about making strategies. It was like, how can we, you know, there's no one to tell us what to do. So we'll load, you know, our gloves with batteries. I don't know; it's a bad example, but we'll 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 be able. That was to- quite. That was quite the analogy. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of uh, what's that movie? Uh, the longest. Yeah, yard. the longest yard. <laughs> um, but if you put no, if you put no refs on the field, yeah, you you know, and I think it's an interesting conundrum because it's like it doesn't necessarily take all merit away from breaking up the monopolies, right? Which is like. I think the the inherent question here, and I'm not saying we have to have a solution necessarily, right? But like, it doesn't necessarily negate the value of having several players and utilities, but sure. it does prove the the need for refs on the field. Of course, I completely agree, and I actually think this is a perfect place to maybe discuss the development of of the next utility and maybe the next area 
of of significant regulation. So uh, Gio mentioned that I might be an expert in the, in the financial markets. By by uh, by day job, I I work uh, as a telecom investment banker. So um, you know my my day to day is really focused on uh, data data delivery, data storage, uh, data transmission to all people, whether it's in uh, the U.S. or Latin America or Europe or Asia. And what's really interesting, uh, as more and more people connect to, to, to broadband speeds, is whether or not uh, digital infrastructure and the delivery of, of internet to people is going to be the next utility, and should it be protected? Should it be regulated? Is there the need to say it's a, it's now it's now a fundamental right to have access to the internet? And I think it's also interesting because it's part of a larger conversation that just you know COVID really brought out, which is like effective government. You know, I think since Reagan, there's been a big just force among Republicans to be really adverse to government, and I think. With COVID, with this strike, actually, like we're starting to understand the importance of strong regulatory bodies, and that, like, you know, I, I compare a lot to like what's happening with like Facebook and Google, where like their execs will come out and say, like, you know, the government, the American government can't move fast enough, so we should really be in charge of regulating ourselves. Yeah, right. And I think Creating like, these congresses yeah, or like so called committees teams or yeah, that yeah. are just bullshit. Right, right, right. That review and, the merits of, of yeah, free speech on their platform. Exactly. And like I think actually we're starting to realize that, you know, having forces that are sort of uh omniscient in their power is actually kind of important. Mm-hmm. And that I think it's gonna be an like America just historically flip flops a lot between very strong government and not strong government. Well, it's very reactive. Yeah, it's very reactive. Events happen. Yeah, and people go, "Oh, you know, we need to do something about this." Like, you know, for instance, the financial crash of two thousand eight. Yeah, you know, people were very, very irate with the way you know people were so uh, cavalier about making money and abusing, you know, uh, abusing people who. It's obviously it, it's it could be taken in a different light, but abusing feeble people to take out mortgages and making money off of that, and like getting the average American to vote against his own interests, right? Too, right? Like a bunch of people in Texas probably voted for policymakers that had a high interest in deregulating market, and now sure. they're paying a direct sure. price yeah. for it because they think in their mind, well. You know these people are for jobs. Yeah. So if they're for jobs, if they're like, for jobs. Yeah. If they're for jobs, if they're for jobs, then <laughs> they're, they're, they're for me. <laughs> yeah. And then and then it takes I guess something like this for them to realize like if you just go by that motto, well then you're going to be a sucker. Yeah. People are going to take advantage. And of people you. have to pay the price. And exactly. it's also there's a disparity in power, right? Like if you're a big energy company. There's going to be a disparity in economic power, but also in just pure knowledge, right? Sure. Like you could filter out – you could make it so that the voter is only aware of in- information that's convenient to you and keep back the information that they not need to know. And I think with all of this, there's a lot of 
just short-sightedness too on the part of these companies because the reality is that there's probably especially with a democratic president like some of these companies are gonna have to pay big fines sure like sure people they're, but they're, they're probably that like when i see a fine go across you know the headline of of what the wall street journal it's usually justifiable mm-hmm. it's not it's not necessarily like you know government overreach it's usually because they've done something wrong yeah and, 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 and if and, they and, weren't to pay the consequences for it, then they would just continue to keep doing and it. And to be fair to them, they're, pl- they're playing by the rule, which is make as much money as possible. Yeah. Like their job shouldn't be to regulate themselves. Right. Their job should be to make as much money as possible. So at least we know what their goals are. Well, and yeah. then the job of the government should be to set the rules yeah, yeah, within yeah, yeah. which they can perform. Well, that's, that. really, that's really interesting. You know, that's, that's, that really comes into conflict, you know, between – capitalism and you know what whatever I, you know capitalism is almost a completely different like political movement in itself the yeah. more i think about it yeah because by virtue of what you just said money should be made at all costs yeah it should be there should be there should be no in, impingement on the actions you take to to create jobs or to to create you know wealth my, in the economy. My belief on this is that even when companies do put in, for the most part, what I would consider bullshit self-regulation rules, they're still designed for them to be able to make as much money as possible. Yeah. So they rarely ever like set rules on themselves to not do that. Right, right, right. And they're just hiding it, right? They just have the capability to hide it now, which. I think, you know, moves us to like the second point that we can discuss now, which is the GameStop thing and the Robin Hood thing. And yeah, yeah. Very like, you know, that's exactly right. Where where people created an environment where there is now this opportunity to make as much money as possible. Yeah. And now they're saying, OK, that was a huge mistake. Let's rein it back, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is really which I think is is, is a great point to jump to because in this system that we've created, we we laud the powerful people for making a ton of money. Yeah. And when, you know, the small Joe starts to come in and basically say, all right, well, I want – I kind of want a piece of this equation, um, the powers that be have basically said, well, you're going to ruin our business model. So yes. you can't join – you know, you can't join this party so, right, basically. So let's just take a second to deconstruct, you know, what – Sort of. I, I'm assuming if you care about the markets, you're somewhat familiar wow, this with. This is really nice. Sorry to yeah. butt in. What are, what are we drinking, by the way? We're we're drinking a, a cheeky Burgundy wine here, oh, a Gamay, a Louis Latour. Um, for anyone who cares about wines, Christmas. don't don't go with cheap Burgundies. If you're going to want to drink a cheap wine, don't get a Burgundy. You will usually be disappointed, and they're relatively inherently always expensive. Uh, this one. In our market, it was 28 bucks, which is usually a little bit above what I think we'll usually go, which is like 19, 20 bucks. It's taste, though. So, but it, it, is, it is really good. It is really good. I don't know. Wine for me, it, there is actually a justification for spending more money. Usually. Yeah. Well, that's Except the thing. for that one time at, at Whole Foods that uh, – the not the Barolo. The, it was like $8. Oh, that was nice. The Barbera. Yeah, the, bar- the oh, man. Barbera. Wow. That was something else. <laughs> no, Suck that, that down for days. <laughs> that was actually like an, a revelation. And, and you know, just to take a quick tangent on wine, you know, I think in most markets, it's distributors set prices. 
So with Burgundies, I would not go with something cheap, but you can get good wines for cheap. And most blind testing will say that cheap wines, usually like you can put a $5, a $50 wine against a $10 wine. And most people might prefer the $10 wine. So mm. I don't I, know. I, I have a sophisticated palate, so <laughs> I can notice the difference. I have too many taste buds. <laughs> um, so I think maybe let's just break down uh, sure. a little bit of the history of what happened. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I'll just start because I actually know less about the market implications, but I am a big user of Reddit, and so therefore <laughs> relatively familiar with what happened on Reddit, which – which was basically they rebelled against uh, Melvin Capital, which is a, a hedge fund that put a big short on GameStop. And they sure. said, we're going to short that squeeze. Now, I think there's a couple different things at play here, which we've discussed, yeah. which is that GameStop is inherently a bad stock to invest in right, in terms right. of the fundamentals. Yes, yeah. It's a failing company. Oh, yeah. So, Everything about it is it right. makes it a deadbeat. And so there's two layers here, right? One layer is... Uh, the squeezes and how that could force down the price of a stock, especially for other lazy investors that might see a big hedge fund seeing a squeeze and that would be a bad stock. And one of the things that Colin explained to me is the reason that, you know, a stock will never, a company will never fail because its stock price goes down, but it will fail because it will make it unable to to generate yeah. get new capital. Right, right, right. New exactly. capital. If the it, stock it, price goes down, yeah. their ability to generate new capital, right, which, right, right, right. especially for companies that are trying to pivot, that's like a, yes, a, a difficult yes. place and to be and in. They, and they don't have the ability to lever themselves, exactly. aka borrow money exactly. in the debt capital So markets. I think there's on the one question is the morality or immorality of squeezes, which you know we can get into. But basically, like this was, for all intents and purposes, a bad investment. Mm-hmm. To invest in sure. GameStop, right? Sure, absolutely. And, and to squeeze that short, which you know you might want to step in on what a squeezing a short is. Exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, maybe let's just talk yeah, about that. Yeah, so a we, second. we we can go over kind of like the the mechanics behind uh, what people buying the stock did to Melvin Capital. So when you short a stock, you basically uh, you basically borrow the stock from someone. Um, and you agree to give it back to them at a later point in time. Um, and sorry, sorry, let, let's, let's rewind. You actually, you, you lend the stock out to someone and they're supposed to pay you back in full, uh, what they borrowed it out as. So if they borrow it out, out at whatever it is, it said $10 yeah, so yeah, yeah. and it goes down to five, they still have to pay you back the $10. Yeah. So, you know, you make the spread, um, and what you usually do that with is you usually borrow money to do that because you don't want to hold it in the first place. So by virtue of using leverage, you never actually use your own money, right? So you use something called a margin loan. And a margin loan um, is where a loan is securitized by the shares themselves. The share value will dictate whether or not you have to cover your margin. So if the, if the, sh- if the shares themselves go down precipitously or the value the underlying value of of the trade you're doing goes really really red you have to do something called covering your margin so when when melvin capital decided to short the game stock uh the gamestop stock they borrowed a ton of money to do it uh you know massive margin loans to do it and when their trade went sideways 
the mechanics of the margin loan required them to basically cover their short, so buy back the stock, and then they had to pay back the margin loan themselves. Um, and that can be very, very costly, right? Um, you know, Melvin, Melvin Capital, if they had just held, bought the stocks themselves and had shorted it themselves. They could, and it they, could held, they could have held on to it for yeah. as long as they wanted to. Yeah. But the problem was is that they had financial instruments helping uh, financially engineer returns for them. Um, and in a, in a vacuum, that's a great trade yeah. because they're borrowing money they're they're lending out the stock and then they'll make money if the stock goes down, right? And I think one of the things to highlight that's worth highlighting here is that like for all intents and purposes, as far as – and this is like will be a third point of conversation. But you know the fundamentals of the market, like what I learned in finance class is how you price a stock have basically evaporated. Yeah, they've gone out the window. Which will be our third point of conversation. But assuming you stand to those principles – the GameStop is a stock that you should short. Sure. Yeah. yeah like yeah. they they weren't doing something that was egregious to no. the way you play the no, rules. No, they 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 did their homework. Yeah. They felt like they had strong conviction about. And they probably weren't wrong and do like no, they were probably making a relatively I mean, listen, safe bet. Listen, like I don't get me wrong. I I love GameStop. Yeah. Like I when I was younger, obviously I would ask my parents to take me there really often, and obviously that drives into you know, people's sentimentality and why yeah. a lot of people decided to, to buy into it. But, uh, you know, game systems and, you know, mobile phones have allowed people to download stuff instantaneously. It's all virtual now. The, the ga- GameStop has moved to a virtualized environment. And, like, proof in point is that the stock went up and straight back down. Yeah, sure. You know, and it's weak as hell now in a time. Well, of yeah, lost. I mean, I mean, mu- like, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things to cover there. Yeah. You know, but, you know, but it was an artificial, like, it was an artificial oh, yeah. pump that you couldn't, you know, sustain over the long. So I think, you know, Getting out of the weeds for a second, sort of the reason why this is important is because there were some like relatively new Senate hearings around this. And the reason these Senate hearings happened is because Robinhood, the main app through which retail investors were getting in on the GameStop stock, uh, made it impossible to – they stopped – for a certain amount of time, like maybe 24, yeah, they, 48 they, they hours. Yeah, they created a like circuit breaker on the stock. You couldn't buy it anymore, but you could sell it. Yeah. And this triggered people a lot because, it, it A, it created panic and so a lot of people sold. But it also meant that you could only affect the stock downward right. in, you in price. Right, you could only put downward yeah. pressure on it. You could it. only yeah. – the only option they gave to people was downward pressure, which you know seemed very convenient for um, – Melvin Capital, who's owned by Citadel, uh, which is one of the main customers of Robinhood. So well, even even more so is that uh, to get technical again, when uh, when a stock is bought, there is a clearing process where you need to transfer the title of the deed of the stock from person to person, and there's a period of time that elapses between you buying it and it being transferred. And what was really affecting Robinhood was that in that elapsed time, they need to hold um, the risk on their balance sheet between it going from A to B. So what they continuously had to do as 
massive amounts of people went onto the platform. And I think this and, is really important. Like yeah, this is yeah. key to understanding whether Robin Hood did something yeah. wrong or right, right? Like and as we get into these technicalities, like this is the crux right, of, right, right, right. of the conversation, whether right. they were in the wrong yeah. or whether it's a rigged system or not. Yeah, yeah. And you can either look at it from the perspective of they were doing something to, you know, benefit one of their like shareholders. Well, well, I mean, their customers. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. Well, they're also they're also owned by um, a majority shareholder that owns uh, Melvin Capital or invests in Melvin Capital. Right. Citadel. Citadel. Yeah, yeah, Citadel. Right. Whether they well, were so, doing a so favor. It's, to... it's, it's multi prong. It's either yeah. it's you could look at it either that they were a trying to protect their own business model because they continuously had to raise more and more money to cover these costs. So they were raising billions and billions let, of dollars. Let, let's, let's pause there for a second okay. because as someone who doesn't really understand, like what is the cost that they're covering, right? Like yeah. what, what costs are they incurring? Who's making them incur that cost? Yeah. It's the, it's, it's that spread between the, the, the title transfer. So basically the bank of New York is one of the largest clearinghouses in, in maybe the world. And what will happen is a deed of that stock certificate will be held there. And when it's transferred from to another party, there has to be an intermediary to hold it to ensure that um, a variety of To hold of things. it means what exactly? It, it's basically to put it on their own balance sheet, which means that the risk is, is incumbent is, on them. Yeah. So, so they'll, they will, they will, um, basically assume the and risk. They have to hold it at a specific price regardless of how it of fluctuates, fluctuations in the market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is like the big thing because, you know, that's what was affecting yeah. Robin Hood. They had to raise a ton of capital to be able to protect those costs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, um, you know, they, they just simply didn't have the cash on hand to cover the, the trading volume. Yeah. So... You know, and when they have to raise money in particular, there are consequences for their own returns, yeah. right? So what did they have to sacrifice to new investors? You know, did what, what, what was the what was the, the capital raise structured as? Was it debt? Was it expensive debt? Was it, you know, a ton of equity in the really company? Because it would have been really short term. Like, it would yeah, have been yeah. quickly raised I mean, look, debt, at, so. look, at, look at Airbnb, for instance. When they needed to raise capital, they rose really expensive capital from Silver Lake, you know? When when people are when these companies are kind of suffering in the in the immediacy, um, they'll take whatever deal can be struck, yeah. you know, at the eleventh hour. So that's one thing. Like, were they trying to protect themselves by creating, you know, the circuit breaker? Were they were they trying to create their majority shareholder Citadel by doing this, or were they, you know, least likely in my mind, trying to protect the average retail investor because? This was a, this was an event of hysteria. So people were just piling into a stock because someone online or multiple people online said, "Hold the line, <laughs> hold the line." <laughs> so where do you conclude on? So sort of run us through what some of the Senate hearings said. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So so uh, I'm actually not particularly familiar with the Senate hearings and what 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 was discussed. I just know that. Uh, it was very grueling and that people were asking very pointed questions about, you know, the reasoning as to why they had done it and, you know, what implications uh, w were what were their actions trying to, to show um, and if they were nefarious or not. And 
you know, really all that was done by the CEO of Robinhood was apologize for it again and again and say, you know, like we regret doing that. Um, you know, we shouldn't have done that, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, so, so they felt they were the wrong? Robinhood was, was, was apologetic. About really? It. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, like what, what now, now that we have an apology, like, okay, clearly it wasn't for protection of the, the average Joe, right? Like he didn't come into that hearing and start saying, well, this was to basically prevent people, from, you know, prevent your neighbor from losing his house. Yeah. The, you know, clearly this was a, 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 a rigged system, if you will, um, of them trying to preserve either their own business model or the business model of their shareholders. Yeah. Or sorry, the, the, the investment of their shareholders. So clearly, uh, and you know, we kind of, when we segued off of the, the, the whole power situation in Texas, like there's such a, there's such a duality between, you know, people, people who can make money and people who try to make money and when people try to make money and the people who are making money see that happening, they basically go and they say that you can't be doing that. So so do you think sort of to put a ribbon on all of this, do you think Robin Hood was doing something that it knew like that it in, in retrospect was right? It's hard to say like was it wrong or not because there's so many different ways in which it could be wrong because like what dictates is wrong is by yeah. the set rules. Well, like, well let me let me let me let me put it this way. The the stock markets themselves have circuit breakers. Yeah. So so for as long as the flash crash of the eighties, when you know the Dow closed down a precipitous amount, um, the stock market has basically taken an approach where if the stock market goes down ten percent, there's a halt on yeah. trading. People collect themselves. Um, market hysteria should subside. Like which is it like a, a I good think, thing? I think it's I think it's reasonable. Yeah. Because if you see a house on fire um, and you see your house close to it, you know, you're probably going to want to do everything you can to save your house. Yeah. So, you know, if you see the stock market is tanking, you're going to sell. Yeah. You know, especially if you can do so easily. Yeah. It's really easy to sell stocks now. <laughs> yeah. You can literally do it instantaneously. So... Um, you know, we had a bunch of those when there was the trough uh, during peak, like, COVID outbreak, right? Um, there were a ton of circuit breakers uh, day after day, really. Um, the stock market fucking tanked. But, you know, I think he was apologetic in the hearing because that circuit break was not at the beh- at his behest. Yeah. I feel like he he's very remorseful, the CEO of Robinhood, because it was outside of his control. Yeah. There were parties that were were obviously shareholders and I doubt regulators uh, had any input on it because I don't, I, it doesn't seem like they would bring them before, you know, the house for inquiry. Um, and, and do you think it was a, a moment of market manipulation in the interest of whether it be their stockholders or their customers? Um, for the interest of those people? Like, would you put it in... Because I think that's the fundamental... But what did it achieve? You know? Like, it didn't really achieve anything. It's kind of interesting. Like, yeah. they stopped it. They got so much heat for it. So it kind of, like, rolled off really quickly. Um, so, 
it was kind of like a, oh shit, did, we shouldn't have done that. Like, let's rewind. Yeah. Because this looks exactly as it is. Like, we're being, ref- we're being reflected, we're being responsive to an event because it's hurting our shareholder. Yeah. And that looks really, really bad. Yeah. Like, it looks like we are, we're not creating a fair system. And I will say, like, part of this too that's worth keeping in mind is that, like, You'll rarely find me on the side of big capital, but I will say, like, the people I think that were doing more harm here than anything else were the people who say, buy GameStop. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of small investors, retail investors, bought in at whatever it was trading at, 20 bucks, oh, and crushed. sold at 350 and then other people got completely destroyed. Oh, yeah. And the people who actually held the line were the people who paid a huge price at the end. And were they probably the least informed investors? And like, you know, I, I don't want to defend Robin Hood in this. And what I, I don't know at the end of the day what their actual, whether their incentives were morally justifiable or not. But I do think that doing that buy was a lost cause in the first place. Like yeah, it, of course. It was going to return to normal. Oh, like People were going to lose People no were going to lose no matter what. Yeah. Like that stock was not, you know, reliably going to go yeah. high. And I think this actually transitioned us nicely into the last thing we want to talk about, which is the Tesla stock. Yeah, yeah. And Just which thinking is, that. Which is a stock that sh- probably shouldn't be as high as it is. Right. But is high because people believe in Elon Musk. <laughs> they hold the line. Yeah. That's your classic... But, and that, the line. And that's, but that's hold, people holding the line without being told to hold the line, right, which is, right, I think, right, the right. difference between right. where actually holding the line. Like, if someone is telling you to hold the line, don't hold the line. <laughs> You're going to get fucked. <laughs> Dogecoin, hold the line. <laughs> yeah. Do it. But, you know, as soon as people start to sell, say, hold the line, sell. But yeah, if, yeah. I do think there's money to be made now in the way the stock market is structured on stocks that probably don't warrant the price they're being traded at on the basis of financial fundamentals, but are still good money makers because there's enough people holding the line, but no one is, there's no centralized right, there's no reason to yeah, hold the line. Yeah. It's, it's, or there's, there's no one screaming hold yeah, the line. It's implicit in yeah. the, the quality because of they the believe yeah. they believe in Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah. Well, Which is funny, well, right? Because he was yeah. a big part of the GameStop. He's a big part of the Dodge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he, he, I think, I think, you know, the rise of Tesla has created a lot of envy in people. Like, you know, retail investors made quite a bit of money on Tesla. Tesla millionaires exist. Quite a few of them exist, right? So I think there's a a bit of FOMO with Tesla itself, right? Like, it's kind of not only is the company, uh, you know, meteoric in in the rise of, of its value, but I think Elon Musk, uh, being a central character there and and instilling a lot of faith in what he does um, has basically allowed him to go and to to say things about other things that cause people to lose their shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and how does him posting a tweet about Doge Magazine <laughs> cause the, the stock price of Dogecoin to go through the roof? Well, in, in a relative sense. Yeah. It's from, it's well, like it's eight, yeah eight, zero it's, point re- eight cents it's really to... interesting and and um, obviously what it's done is it's created a, I think personally a really speculative market 
Yeah, and it's created a market too that's like character about personalities versus uh, yeah. financial well, fundamentals I mean, for what they're yeah, worth. Like, yeah, yeah. not not saying that the financial fundamentals are like no, strong no, no, rocks no. to stand on. They're right. they're still rather nebulous. But he he just made it much more nebulous than that because yeah. stocks can become strong off the back of an individual's personality. And well, know, he he. He's a, he is a genius, like yeah. no doubt about it. He he really did, he really did accomplish the in many respects an impossible feat. You know, he built a modern car company from the ground up with with no background in the space, uh, and it's become you know the second most valuable, maybe the most valuable car company in the world. Yeah, so Whether or not it's actually worth that. Let's but. talk about for a second about how Tesla trades He's on the stock market. Genius. Yes, very cool, very legal <laughs> uh, compared to other car stocks. Sure. Right? Like what's how what's that discrepancy at? Like wh- why are what are the what are the buyer forces being applied onto Tesla that are different? Yeah, to, yeah. To how like a GM trade. Sure, sure. Well, so big difference between I think a lot of car companies and and Tesla is that it's doing a very good job in China. It's doing an incredibly good job wooing the Chinese economy and government officials and building factories there um, and and getting uh, you know the car in production, employing Chinese people, making it a very centralized Chinese um, operation. Uh, so you think there's merit to the price behind well, Tesla? Well, I mean, it's all... It No, of course not. Like, they shouldn't be trading at where they're trading. Zoom shouldn't be trading at, like, a thousand times yeah. price to earnings. Or who, who even knows where it's at now. But, like, uh, are they good companies? Yes. They, they like, the, the high-soaring companies of today's stock market are good companies. And I think... Because of where Tesla is, doesn't matter what the what the relative valuation is. If it's a good company and people are talking about it and you use it or you want it, it's almost the same thing as just a plain old piece of clothing yeah. or a plain old you know watch that you want. It's buy like a sweater, it, yeah. yeah. Buy it. It it is like hold on to it, yeah. see where it goes. Like you know. You can tell people you invest in it, right? Like, there's never been a point in time where a percentage of the shares traded in a, on or the shares held in the market uh, has been held. Sorry, a little drunk. I probably <laughs> misphrased that completely. There's never been any time in history that the retail investor has held such a great portion of publicly, you know, publicly outstanding shares um, in the in the U.S. economy. That is. So clearly it's becoming, you know, way more accessible. And as a result, you know, a less informed population has access to investing in stocks. And as a result, it really becomes kind of just a a name game, right? Like you invest in Microsoft, you invest in Apple, you invest in Facebook, like you invest in the FANG stocks, you invest in, you know, Nike, like it, it, it really has become almost like 
uh, a branding, uh, yeah, an extension yeah. of their branding. And exactly. Efforts. Like you're buying more of their product. Yeah. You're buying more. Like if you if you you're own it. You're buying in your yeah. belief of that brand yeah. rather than their actual financials. And, and which would have been yeah. – like for people who are not like uh, used to or don't invest in the stock market – the traditional way of buying stocks would have been a direct factor of the return of the money yeah, they made. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it was it was a it was you know, it was a clo- closed door club. Yeah. Until you know very recently, um, you had to have a broker. You had to pay, pay fees. fees. You had to pay fees to get a buy a stock. You know, and that 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 business model has completely changed. It's now all function of. A volume um, for these for these uh, brokerages or the amount of yeah because they sell their they, they're basically they sell their trade records to companies so people know where the volume is at right well they do a bunch of things like well how Robinhood makes money yeah yeah is that's they true. sell to companies yeah. like Citadel exactly and exactly. they let Citadel yeah, that's exist, right. that's exist right. the trades and that yeah kind of I was thing. talking more of like plain vanilla brokerages like uh, you know TD and um, and like E Trade and all those things like. You used to only be able to buy stocks through yeah. those platforms, and you used to have to pay per trade. Well, now they just charge you a flat rate against the money you have in those accounts. So it's a subscription basis, um, and that's just like completely changed the way people are able to invest into, you know, uh, use their conviction about a brand either because they love the brand or they buy the products, you know, by by virtue of buying into them. And I think you know maybe one sort of last place where we can sort of leave this and and sort of be the the closing argument with this is like does it does it is it creating another bubble right like are these companies the prices that they're trading at now like because there's they're few and far between let's call them like 12 companies that maybe have the clout to do this you know you named a few apple amazon google Tesla, there, there are a lot in the uh, that probably aren't household names. Yeah, yeah. Let, in the, let, in the let's tech maybe space. Let, let's maybe extend it to like twenty five, fifty. Yeah, companies. yeah. A is it dangerous for the overall market? Were, were they to tank, would that affect the individual user the way something like the drop in the market in two thousand eight affected the individual user? And like more importantly, like is it it is it just a all in all, is it a bad thing, right? Like that now the way things are traded or the, the, the things that people invest in or think are safe investments, mm-hmm. the fact that it has fundamentally changed, is that a bad thing? And does it put us, it, does it put the markets at risk yeah. for what it's worth, right? Because I think me and you only care about the markets being at risk, not that we care about individual uh, companies or that we care about the market at general. We do care about the market when it's going to affect individual people because yeah, if the market right. tanks, people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah, well, I, I just, you know, I think there's never been a point in time where companies have been as strong in the sense where their business models are so, like, are, are so ingrained, whether it's, you know, whether or not they're profitable yet, but, you know, where they're so, they're so important to people's lives, like, this isn't the internet bubble of the early 2000s. Yeah. You know, you're, you don't have a billion dollar company just because it's called pet.com, right? <laughs> like you have you have really incredibly sophisticated, sophisticated companies yeah. that are in so many different lines of businesses that are monopolies, yeah. truly. Like, you know, these companies are being, uh, they're being reviewed as monopolies. So I would say no, that I don't think, 
you know, there is a great concern from me to to say that the market will crash and because so many people are in the market right now, like never before, there's this huge potential for people to lose a ton of money. Um, I don't think that's the case because I just don't see uh, Apple the, going out of business. Yeah, I don't tomorrow. see I don't see these companies ever really losing the clout that they have unless and that's why I think the government is really careful about these these antitrust cases because there's a lot of implications behind the price of those stocks yeah. if they were to be affected by really meaningful antitrust suits um, because there's no there's no doubt in my mind that they're monopolies like the fact that you have to pay Apple a fee every single time someone buys something off of your app in their app store is a monopoly. Yeah. Like you can't do anything about being on their ser- on, yeah, being on their operating be, system. You have the to be. On, you have yeah. to be on the, the the platform. So, you know that's a great business model for them. And obviously, Epic Games is going after them to try to 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 switch that. But like these companies are so sophisticated, and you know. Um, they'll never. I don't think they'll ever get the scrutiny that they they deserve, uh, because they are so important and people are so invested in them. From you know, up and down the the equity pool, from like pension funds to you know banks that provide loans to you know you and me. So um, to really create ripples is not in the best interest of anyone, right? Um, you know, maybe it is because it will spur more growth, but, like, these are large the, employers yeah, as well. The floor isn't going to fall out right, of them the right. way it did on, like, right. the CDOs They're, or, or I the actually, mortgages. I, we, we, never, we never plan on discussing this, but I've always held this really interesting uh, notion that um, the, 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 past, the past application of what a monopolistic enterprise is has been flipped upside down. Uh, the, pa- the 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 definition of, of what a monopoly used to be was that they would push out competition and they would create an environment where prices were raised to the were were at their were at their purview and they could raise it and they could harm consumers however they wanted. It's totally changed now. Google and Amazon they do everything at a bottom dollar basis. It's all for the consumer, but it's now business cannot compete with them. Yeah. So do you rewrite the the monopoly the monopoly yeah. codes, right? Do you do you change it? Antitrust has yeah. to fundamentally change right, right, right. what you're looking for. Right. It has to not be because about is Google, like price control. Is Google creating an environment where we pay for for the ads? No, but they create an environment where no one else can provide the yeah. ads to us. So it's not harmful to the consumer. Because they provide a great product. It's just product. completely anti-competitive. It's anti-competitive. You can smash any right, right, right. And you have no even chance right. to grow. And you're just going to get no capital, right? Like, yeah. If you're going against Google's market share, no one's going to fund that shit. It's 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 almost an internet utility. Yeah. Right. Like, you if you were to remove it from the system, well, well like, I I don't know what you would do. You'd use Bing, obviously. It, it's it's an option, but <laughs> yeah. like. No. But why do that? Yeah, no, you know? it's in no it's not in the consumer's interest no. either. No, exactly. 
Well, I think this is a good place to leave it. Sure. I think we covered a lot of things. We really did. <laughs> How long have we been going for here? Tangents? I don't know. I have this on on bars. <laughs> so we went for seventeen and seventeen hundred and sixty four bars. So okay, nice. <laughs> probably just where we wanted to be. <laughs> probably a while. So um, hopefully we're gonna do this every Friday and yeah, uh, we'll really enjoy that. Yeah, that was yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Cheer, right. Cheers, Mac. <laughs>